0: I'm reading from Hebrews eleven, seventeen through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Just stay, uh, remain standing, and um, let's just ask the Spirit to search us and soften our hearts to hear from Him, Father. Um, we just confess that we're uh, numb sometimes, some of us, and uh, we're hard-hearted. But if you would say the word, we would be healed, and we pray that in faith. Because We're asking your spirit to open up the eyes of our hearts that we would know you and see you Uh, We love you. We thank you for your word. It is hard And so we pray that uh, you would bless this time That we would know you For we pray in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated Well, good morning, fam If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I'm Ronnie Garcia, one of the pastors here And if you're visiting, we're currently in the middle of a sermon series on Hebrews. Um, More specifically, we're continuing in chapter 11. And this is actually my third sermon in chapter 11. And, uh, you know, I'll probably do a few more in chapter 11. So chapter 11 is actually called the Hall of Faith. So this chapter, what it does is it catalogs the faith of several Old Testament figures and um, offers them to us the readers, as a model of faith. So two weeks ago, we took a break last week, but two weeks ago we studied uh, the faith of Abraham. And you'll remember Abraham's pretty remarkable because he's sort of elevated and understood as being the principal paradigm of faith, not just for Christianity, but also for like Islam and Judaism. I mean, this guy's a big deal. So we really need to um, lock in and try to understand how faith is to be lived out. So we're gonna pay attention to his life. Now, last week we began with Abraham and we studied and we we learned how um, Abraham's faith kind of had two aspects, trust and hope. Y'all remember that a little bit? That was two weeks ago. Uh, This morning, we're going to add one additional component. This morning, we're going to look at the testing of Abraham's faith and therefore our faith. If you'll notice from our reading this morning in verse 17, uh, it said that Abraham's faith was tested. Like, what, what in the world does that even mean? You know, so the whole burden of this sermon is to answer that question. Now, here's why this is important. If your faith has never been tested, you might not have faith at all. Does that sound a little too strong? Is that a little too strong? I think it's true. Testing is the primary way that God reveals your faith, to just show you what you have. God tests our faith, and, and indeed, you guys, this, like, this concept is all over the Bible. When I was in seminary, my first Hebrew class, my professor made us do this really extensive like word study on the word test, or to test, and uh, it was incredibly helpful. In fact, I'm going to share with you a little bit of what I've learned from that, but let me help us understand how the testing of Abraham's faith was super relevant to the original audience, the guys who first heard Hebrews, right, the original group, if you'll remember, and we've talked about this, they were being persecuted for their faith, right? To follow Jesus was personally costly. There was a massive amount of hostility that came from their culture. It came from their government. It even came from their own families, and they're pressured to, den- to deny Jesus, to walk away. Now, some of them, they actually lost their lives. They lost their fortunes, their comforts, and so maintaining loyalty to Jesus was very difficult. And so some of them found themselves considering walking away. Like maybe this is just too much. I'm out. They were uh, considering opting out. And so the, the the writer the writer says, "Hey, I want to give you a new way to think about the pain that you're experiencing, those trials." what if you understood those trials as tests he says the pain that you're experiencing because of your loyalty to jesus that is a test and tests accomplish two things tests validate our faith and they grow our faith they grow our character and here's why this is a big deal for modern day christians 21st century christians living in denver is we, listen, listen close, we're going through trials too. There are people who are sitting beside you who are in a hard place, in a sad place. All right? So don't don't miss this because we all look nice. We all took showers this morning, right? We look like we have it all together. There's some of us who are going through a really hard time, a sad time. And how are we going to live when life kind of turns into a storm? I mean, why? Like, why should we keep fighting? How are we going to live when following Jesus seems like a life marked with tears? You know? By studying Abraham and his tests, I think we're going to understand what we have for us so that we can live courageously in our own lives. So we're going to turn our attention to these tests. Again, two-point sermon. Tests validate our faith. And they grow our faith they grow our character now as i as i warm up and on ramp into this first point let me just give us a little bit of background so our text this morning in chapter 11 verses 17 through 19 it's actually referencing a story in genesis chapter 22. now if you didn't grow up studying the bible or learning all the stories of the bible it's uh, so okay. We're really glad you're here. This is a great place to learn the Bible. I'm gonna do you a solid, and I'm gonna summarize Genesis 22, so you understand. Or really, from 12 to 22, so that you kind of know what's what's going on here. So years before with Abraham, God spoke to him out of the clouds. Now I'm serious. Like Abraham's hanging out, God speaks out of a cloud, and he says, Abraham, leave your land, leave your mansion, go to the desert. And I am going to make you the father of a great nation. Now, listen, this seemed foolish to Abraham, but by faith, he trusted God's word instead of trusting his own instincts. And Abraham and Sarah meant, like, y'all need to understand, they were very old, well beyond the years that people can have babies, right? And they had tried for decades to have a baby, nothing. Sarah was infertile. But God promised them a child, and not just any child, because through this child of Sarah, God would make a special nation that would bless the entire world. So Abraham was faithful on that one occasion. There are honestly, tons of stories of Abraham being foolish and disobedient. In fact, uh, in fact, years after this, they got this promise, uh, Sarah was still not pregnant, Abraham grew impatient. He ends up having sex with his slave, Hagar. They had a son named Ishmael. That's right. Abraham practiced polygamy, which in the Bible, whenever that happens, it's always followed by really bad things. It's like bad. Don't do that. It's awful. Always results in oppression. Now, eventually, though, eventually, when Sarah was nice and old, she becomes pregnant, and she gives birth to a son, and they named him Isaac. And this boy represented all of Abraham and Sarah's dreams. I mean, he was their greatest love. He represented the promise of God to make a great nation, to bless the whole world. And so Isaac grew up to about the age of 14 or 15 years old when God did it again. Out of the clouds, God speaks to Abraham Now, this is becoming a little bit unnerving for Abraham because every time God speaks to him out of the clouds, he's always asking him to do something crazy. And so he does it again. In chapter 22 of Genesis, verse 2, God says, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Again, this seemed Foolish, to say the least, to Abraham. But by faith, he trusted God's word instead of his own intuitions, instead of his own instincts. You're starting to see a pattern here, right? So right before Abraham has puts a dagger into the heart of his son Isaac, an angel of the Lord speaks out. This is a verse 12 of of Genesis 22. He says, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. And the angel says, For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now I want you to notice that phrase, Now I know that you fear the Lord, right? Because you have not withheld your son, your only son. That phrase is going to help us understand our first point. Let's jump, it, jump into it. tests validate our faith now we know what a test is right like when i was in high school i did very well school was pretty easy for me i never had to study i got good grades without that much work got accepted into a pretty good school uh, but then when i went to that school everything changed i was not the smart guy anymore i was average because everyone's smart like everyone's the valedictorian of their class no one's really impressed with anyone else right uh, so in high school, I liked tests because they showed how smart I was, or I so thought. But in the university, uh, tests became really uncomfortable for me. Why? Why? Well, what are tests for? Tests are instruments used by our teachers to reveal what we know, right? Isn't that how it works? Tests help us to know a little bit about ourselves. Tests help us to know if we sufficiently understand concepts. And so they make us examine ourselves in preparation. Tests force us to get honest about what we know and what we don't know. And then after examining ourselves, we determine what we need to know to pass the test. Right, Isn't that how it works. So when I was in the university, tests always showed me that I had a lot of work to do, right? If I wanted to keep up with my really smart classmates, then I had to study a lot. And before every test, I experienced a lot of nerves and a lot of anxiety. But guess what? After the tests, my grades um, validated what I knew, or in many cases, what I didn't know. (laughs) Uh, Tests were uncomfortable, but they were necessary in order for me to examine myself, to study, and to prove what I am saying I know. You see that? That's how Abraham's test functioned. God tested Abraham and Abraham listened to God even when he personally didn't see how it was personally advantageous, right? The test was awful. It was uncomfortable, but he pressed ahead. And for this reason, the angel says, "'Now I know that you fear God, "'and you know that you fear God.'" The test made Abraham examine himself to see what he really believed. I mean, did he trust himself or did he trust the Lord? Did he trust his own instincts or God's words, you see? So in verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 11, our text, the the author of the Hebrews, he comments, he says, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead. Now, so listen, so God's commands didn't make much sense to Abraham, but he had the faith that God's gonna figure this all out. God's gonna work out the details. Abraham understood that his job was to obey and God would figure out how to fulfill his promise. Listen, you guys, because Abraham knew like doing this would break his heart because he loved Isaac more than he loved anything else. And even still, Obeying God was like the, was the first thing on his heart. It was the first thing. And in this way, Abraham validated his faith through his obedience, even, even when it would cost him everything. For Abraham, following God's words would create a kind of death. You hear me? A class of death in his heart. But God's words were more precious to him. What about you? What about you? I mean, what are the tests in your life? What what is the thing that God is calling you to do? What, What things are there in your life that when you look at them, you say, Lord, if I obey you, a part of me will die. Like a dream will die. If I listen to you, Lord, then I will have to give up the thing that I love most. Lord, I know that you you command complete loyalty, but I'll lose everything if I listen to you. Can you pass that test? Do you see how tests force us to examine ourselves? Like, is our faith real? Are we just playing church? There are trials and tests in our lives right now, and they're just, they're tests. And he wants the Lord's calling you to examine yourself to see if you're really loyal to him. Will you trust the Lord over above your own instincts, even if it creates a kind of death? Because listen, you guys, because ah, hear me out on this. Because I'm like, I'm afraid that the broader evangelical world has sold us something. Hear me out. Listen, following Jesus is not going to make you wealthy. It does not guarantee that you're going to be healthy, right? Jesus is not like a genie, just, get, just dishing out wishes. The message is not that in following him, everything goes right, but that he's enough even when it's hard, even when something we love is taken away. Listen, in the Bible, your Savior, all of the disciples, they all die, and it ends bad for them, all of them. The early church people would come to the Christians and they'd say, hey, stop talking about Jesus or we're gonna put a hurt on you. And, and you know what they said? They say, hey, you do what you gotta do, but we know that Jesus is real and it's worth it. And they got beat. And, and they, they got their fortunes taken from them. And you know what the scriptures tell us about them? That they all rejoiced. Like, what in the world? How do you make sense of that? How? You have to be crystal clear on this. Because nothing we're talking about this morning is going to make any sense unless you understand. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. I mean, maybe we get what we pray for, maybe we don't, but Jesus is better. And he sits in the valleys, turns them into mountains, not because we get what we want, but because he is there. That's it. It's not about what Jesus gets you. It's just about Jesus. He's better, and you get him. And listen, if you're, if you're hearing a little bit of anger in my voice, it's not like I'm angry at you. I'm, like, angry for you because we've been sold a false gospel. And I want us to be super clear about this. I want us all to be a little bit mad about that. Jesus is better. He's enough. Listen, tests, they're uncomfortable, but they're necessary. They validate our faith, and we need that. But they do more than that. Let's move to our second point. Tests grow our faith and test our character. Let me tell you about the life of a guy named Andrew DeBuse. I heard Tim Keller talk about this, so I, he turned me on to it, so I looked it up. You can Wikipedia this. It's pretty impressive. So Andre was this famous American novelist. He's won numerous awards. He's good friends with uh, writers like Kurt Vonnegut or John Updike. You probably you probably read his works in college and just don't remember it. But Andre, like many great authors, was uh, an eccentric and a difficult man. Although he was successful in his professional career, he was a failure in other areas of his life. He was divorced three times because his wives simply could not bear to be with him. He's a really difficult man. Well, on the night of July 23rd, 1986, he's driving home from Boston to his home in Haverhill, Massachusetts. And on the way, he stops because he sees this couple that's in distress, either injured on the side of the road, and so he's helping them out. He's carrying one of the passengers to safety, and an oncoming car swer- swerved and it hit them, and so Debusse, uh saved the one passenger. The other one was actually immediately killed, and the collision crushed both of his legs, so Debuse would live in a wheelchair for the rest of his life a life where he battled chronic infection and clinical depression until his dying day. During the months following the accident, Andre Debusse converted to Christianity. Listen to the words in a published essay that he wrote following this accident. This is what he says. Living in the world as a cripple allows you to see more clearly the crippled hearts of some people whose bodies are whole and sound. All of us, from time to time, suffer this crippling. Now, how could that man write those words? The trial changed Debuse. abuse. The test matured him in a way nothing else could. It was severe, but it was a severe mercy because the accident caused him to examine himself, but it also caused him To grow in his character, it actually made him a much more compassionate man. Now, listen, trials don't always do that, right? That's not a a foregone conclusion, right? I mean, some people face trials, and it makes them cynical, and that's actually why they turn away from God, right? Instead of softening them, the pain solidifies their anger and the cynicism in their heart. I mean some people like I don't know like Friedrich Nietzsche had very difficult lives they turn into cold and unsympathetic individuals but the greatest people we know are those who listen to the lessons of their trials and their suffering they allow the tests to grow them and they minister out of their own suffering not not despite it but from that place of sadness And that is what makes the, the faith of Abraham great. That's why we're still studying him all these thousands of years later. God was on the brink of taking away the most special thing in Abraham's life. And Abraham did not grow cold against the Lord. You know what he does is he gives himself more fully to the Lord. And he allowed the test to change him, to soften him, to mature him. After this test, and you can just follow it, because after Genesis 22, there's a, a switch. Abraham was a different man. His faith in the Lord had grown. And in this event, this event in Genesis, he's actually characterized, not by all those foolish things that he's done prior to 22, and there are some really doozies in there, but really by his, trust, his, trusting, his trusting heart with the Lord. And here's the point. We need tests to grow. Growth always happens in the context of pressure and resistance, right? You guys know this, like lifting weights, right? If there's no resistance, your muscles won't grow. Lifting weights is uncomfortable, but it strengthens you. Without resistance, there is no growth. There is one more thing I want to bring your attention to. When God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he was telling Abraham something that went against his most deepest held core feelings and intuitions. Everything in Abraham's heart wanted to disobey God, and yet he obeys and submits to the test. He gave himself to God's words, even though they contradicted his own feelings and his own convictions. Now, why do I mention this? Because it's super easy to obey God when you agree with him, when you perceive him as just being on your team, right? But that's not a test, is it? What about when God's word tells you to do something that contradict your deepest feelings and intuitions about the world? See, most of us are tempted... To follow our own personal version of God. We take the parts of God we like, discard the rest, and we put at risk, and we don't even dare put at risk our deepest feelings and our convictions and our longings. The problem is, is if you do that, you don't get God anymore. Instead, you have a version of God that's actually a projection of yourself. You have invented a non-existent God made in your image. And you might call him Jesus, but he's not. He's your creation. And when this is the case, when when God's actually just your projection, there's no comfort to be found when you're going through the test. Because fake gods are not present. Non-real gods are not present. If you're going to come to God, you have to allow him to be who he is, right? You're going to hear this from me from time to time. It's so important. If God is truly the sovereign maker of the universe, God of heaven and earth, then he has to be big enough to contradict you. Your God has to be so big that you can't understand everything. Because if you can understand everything, then God is only as big as you are. He's only as big as your deepest thought. But if God is bigger than you, when he tells you something in his word, even if you disagree with it, then like Abraham, you'll still obey. And when you do, and listen, and when you do, you will grow. Let me finish. you guys, I, uh, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself. I want you all to hear that from me. Because I, um, if I could just be honest, like I'm afraid of tests. I'm afraid of tests. And, and I know that they grow my faith. I know that they validate my faith. But there's this gap between my head and my heart. And, and like, where am I going to find the strength to actually do this when I'm in the middle of the fire, and, what God, and when what God's calling me to do is going to result in a kind of death of something that I really care about, like a dream, or relationship, or security, or comfort, or whatever it is. I mean, what do we do when God is calling us to put all of that on the altar and trust him? Putting everything, like waking up every morning and putting all on the altar is what Christians do, not just to become a Christian. It's like what we do all the time. So what, what, what did Abraham do? There's something in this text that has brought me an immense amount of comfort to like, my weary soul. So let me just show you one more thing, and we'll finish here. You'll notice at the very end of verse 17... There's like this clarification that Isaac was his only, one and only son. They just clarify that. Like, why clarify that? Why use that word? His one and only son. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Does this sound familiar? Like, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son? Does that sound familiar? God did not ask Abraham to do something that he himself would not do. And right before Abraham sacrificed Isaac, the angel screams. He says, stop! Stop! Don't do it! Now I know that you fear the Lord, seeing that you have not withheld your only son. But I want you to imagine with me, Abraham at the cross where Jesus hung, right? He's there. He's looking up at Jesus. He's looking up at the cross. And this time, there's no angel screaming, stop. No, 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 no. Oh, they're screaming. They're saying, go, go, crucify him. That's the only voice present on that day. What would Abraham have Abraham said back to God? Lord, now I know. That you love me because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Don't miss the order. We're not trying to be faithful so that God loves us. God loves us so that we can be faithful. These are true words. Believe them. With all of your heart. May the tests that the Lord sends us, may they validate our faith, may they grow us, that we might become something more beautiful than we are now. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, Lord, it is kind of the worst to preach about Abraham, honestly, Lord because i'm begging you lord to make me believe these things because we really want all of you lord and we really want to lay all that we are on the altar we need your help thank you for being so kind to do the hard work lord we love you and our faith is sometimes waning And it's true that sometimes the things that we love the most in this world, we have a really tight grip on, Lord. Loosen our grip. Give us eyes to see the immensity of perfection and eternity that we have with you. Where you make all beautiful things true and all bad things untrue. Lord, we pray this in faith. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's sing one last song together and worship.